0: The culture we're in uh, is one that has seriously undermined masculinity for some length the time. Um, from the 1970s really onwards uh, the protection and development of the role and place of women in our society has been a major concern of the community. But you can't talk about the women in society without at the same time implying the men of society. So if you need to uh, uh, weigh how women are surviving you can only weigh them against men. And then if you want to improve the state of women uh, it will be improve the state of women vis-a-vis men. And so with the rise of feminism has uh, accompanied the undermining of masculinity and it's fairly widespread. Since the earliest records of uh, students finishing uh, school in uh, New South Wales, the People who have got the best results in the Leaving Certificate or the HSC or the the senior thing that was before the Leaving Certificate etc. have always been women. But under feminism enormous pressure has been given to improve education for women. Now more men finish school than women prior to the kind of feminist revolution but the women who finish school did better than men. Now, very good that we've increased the number and percentage of women who finish school, but now 75% of those who drop out of high school are boys and only 40% of those who go to university are boys. And so it goes on, one statistic after another you can find where in fact in the advance of women has come the holding back of men. It's not just that the same number of men finish school as previously did, and it's just a statistical, fewer men are, because education has become feminized. Uh, The whole process of femin... that is most teachers today are women. And most teaching patterns are designed for girls. Sit still, listen to what you're doing. It's a it's a feminist. It's a feminine rather than feminist. It's a feminine form of education that males, many males, find really difficult to uh, to learn in and to cope in. Now, this also comes into the role of the man in the home, the role of the man at work, the role of the man. What is uh, what is it to be a man? A student from Melbourne University in journalism uh, has worked in one of the Melbourne newspapers. She has now written an article, she just did two or three weeks trial work in a Melbourne newspaper. She has now written up in the Melbourne University newspaper what it was like to work in the big newspaper, and she said it was dreadful. It was chauvinistic. It was uh, sexist. It was uh, uh, homophobic. It was all these dreadful things that were so politically incorrect. In, in sorry. She said it was heteronormative heteronormative yes that's right that's a lovely phrase that way. I've never heard that word before but I knew exactly what it meant when I read it once So it's a good word isn't it but she her, her exhibition her kind of illustration of sexism was that there were men who stood back and waited for her to go through the door first this is evil this is a wicked thing to do to actually in any suggest that a... Now, uh, my mother would kill me if I didn't stand back and wait for her to go through the door first. There is the shift that has happened in society. That which I was trained by a very fierce woman to do has now become that which is evil by another fairly fierce woman for if I do it to her. So what do I do? Never approach a door when there is a woman anywhere in sight. That's the <laughs> answer to that. Some time ago I was in a bus and it was fairly full and a girl got on and the bus and i stood up and offered my chair to her and she ticked me off in a loud voice publicly humiliated me and i sat down in the bus with all eyes staring at me they weren't but you know the feeling and i was very quick to get off the next step like stop that i could and i haven't been back on buses for ages it's a it's a terrible humiliation and again you see i was raised with the idea that a gentleman always offers his seat to a lady. That is a right and appropriate thing to do. And she demonstrated she wasn't a lady uh, because she, instead of graciously accepting my offer even if she didn't need it, used it to, to preach a sermon to the world against the evils of society. In fact of course she would loathe the word lady. Which is just as well because she's not one. Now. That shift in culture that has come upon us is quite severe really, and it means that men are backing further and further away from responsibilities. Uh, Whenever we come to responsibilities, the women will step up to the plate and do it, but the men tend not to. Now, to my mind, that's an inevitability, because unless you train young boys to be responsible, they won't be. Uh, That is the character of what males are like, we like the physical activity of kicking a football or something like that outside, rather than putting away the chairs and doing the washing up. And so unless we're actually taught our responsibilities, we tend not to. You then of course have the feminists complaining we don't do the housework. And so you can't win, really. So what you do is, don't try. That's, that's, that's the wise, sagacious approach to life. The cathedral has some problems to solve, many, but one of them is male leadership. We as a congregation, as a church, have a lot of men, which is really good and really interesting. It's, It's got to do with not being a suburban church but being a city church. Suburban churches are governed by suburban families and suburban families are now ruled by women and so suburban churches are run by women folk we're in a city church where we have lots lots of men a very high percentage of men, very high percentage of widows very high percentage of men. Our percentage of family people is fairly small but we have a high percentage of men. But we are men of that age who find leadership something difficult to exert. In fact it doesn't seem right to us that men should lead because that's what we're told we shouldn't do, that's what people should do rather than men And by people we mean women. So while we don't ordain women and we don't formally have women as the leaders of congregations ordain them to be the rectors, we do ordain them to be deacons but don't ordain them to be the rectors of churches and we don't have women preachers we still have men sitting back I'm not criticising you at this point I'm criticising our structure, our society I'm criticising myself as your Dean Um, that we really haven't encouraged men to take the leadership that we need to take and so that's part of what this weekend is about, it's saying hey fellas, actually we're the ones who are responsible to lead the church and that is a God given thing that men have is leadership and we mustn't uh, cower away from it. We need to take hold of it. Many men are with us, and we haven't devised, it's my fault, uh, I'm not blaming you in the slightest, we haven't devised clearly enough the opportunities to serve. My experience of you and of other men in the congregations is a greater willingness to serve than the invitation to ever comes to do it. And when we do ask people to do something, except for breakfast, we'd have no trouble getting people to volunteer very quickly. But we're not really doing it well. And when we try and devise a time and a place in which we can meet and read the Bible together and pray, we run into consistent problems because we're a city church. Some of us work in the city, some of us don't. Uh, Those who do work in the city start at all kinds of different times. So whenever I've tried to do a pre-work Bible study or prayer time with the fellows, some need to do it by 7 because they've got to be there at work at 7.30 and others can't do it till 8 because they've got to be at 9 and it's just very hard to ever find a time at which there can be people who can meet together. So putting those problems together I've come up with a solution and instead of being democratic and asking you what you think is the solution, I'm going to tell you what our solution is and that's over the next 24 hours, or next whatever it is, less than 24 hours, the next 12 hours or so and invite you to participate in it because it will be good for you. That's basically what it is and it's a fairly simple mechanism and it's a structured mechanism to do something that I believe you want to do so I'm just going to create a mechanism to help you do what you want to do in the exercise of spiritual leadership and it comes really from what and who are real men so if I press this correctly and see what happens uh, you see is the real man the bodybuilder I always actually like this bodybuilder he feels more like me or is it really masculine to have tattoos. Is that the sign of true masculinity? Uh, We can demonstrate our tattoos later. Um, Matt will demonstrate his, it's in a part of his anatomy that we're allowed to look at. Or is it the sign of true masculinity that you can grow a beard uh, of one kind or another? (laughs) Is that the sign of true masculinity? Or is it that you're bald? Is baldness the new masculinity? Yes, or you can combine that baldness and a beard. You see, that's that's the way to go. Is it to be really masculine, or is the masculine person, is the real masculinity, to be the athlete with a nose problem? Um, Is that it is to be truly masculine? What is it to be a man? What's a real man? May not be a football. Maybe it may be a front row forward. I like the Welshman, he's terrific isn't he? Prop forwards are really the men. I I remember seeing a a shirt uh, that a man was walking around, very short, very fat, well built man and this shirt on it which said God made beer to stop props ruling the world. (laughs) I'm a teetotaler but even I could see the joke in it. Or is it the soldier that is the real man? Because men are to be warriors and the soldier is the warrior of today. Is is that the leadership we have? Or is it the politics? Is it to actually have the official position of power and authority? Am I more masculine than you because I'm the dean and you're not? Is that where masculinity is to be found? Or is it to be found in wealth? Do we really become the man the heavy, because we've succeeded in this world and in this worlds of wealth. What is it to be the man? Is it to be the leader? Well, of that list of things this one, which is less than human looking, is closer to the biblical model of what is true masculinity because it's actually about relationship. Because when you look up the Bible to study what the Bible says about man, it says almost nothing. It says man in the sense of humanity, but it says very little about man in the sense of masculinity. What you have to look up is son, brother, husband, father to find out what a man is. Because a man is a man in the relationships he has with others. That's where you find man. And leadership is a key part of it. The little phrase man of God is spattered all through the Old Testament and it occurs twice in the New Testament. But every time the man of God phrase is used in the Old Testament it always means the leader. That's what the man of God is. He's the leader. Moses was the man of God. David was a man of God. And it's got to do with leadership. Leadership in the home, leadership at work, leadership in society, leadership in the church. And that's what it has to do with. But, of course, Christian leadership is different to that. That's very worldly leadership. You'll notice everybody's carrying him. (laughs) That's how the world likes to see leadership. In fact, Christian leadership actually has to do with responsibility. has to take care of other people, is Christian leadership. It's not ruling over people, it's looking after people is Christian leadership. It's not lording it over to people, it's serving people. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who lays down his life for other people. That's where leadership is. It's a very different concept of leadership. So when you hear, as a Christian, you should be a spiritual leader, you're in danger at that moment if you're still thinking like the world, aren't you? (laughs) I say, okay, I've got a rule. In your home, with your wife. Very great danger. You're never called upon to subjugate your wife. She's called upon to be submissive to you but you're called upon to be self-sacrificially loving to her because by self-sacrificial love you lead her. And so the concept of leadership needs to be thought of very carefully. See, what do real men do? There used to be an old joke about... Uh, uh, real men don't eat quiche. I have an affinity to that view as I've always thought quiche was a bit of a wet kind of meal, frankly. Um, I love my wife's quiche, I just thought to mention that because I've remembered this is being recorded. Um, there's, you see, leadership. Now, real men don't eat quiche and of course the retort came back after some six months or so if I remember correctly. he's such a man that he can eat quiche in front of truck drivers and it's a good retort isn't it it's a clever retort because courage is not conformity courage is to be able to stand against and so real men do fight the warriors of the bible are men the one warrior who's not is Deborah and the whole story of Deborah is all about the failure of men to do what they should do. And if you read Deborah's song in uh, Judges chapter 5, she roundly is criticising the princes of Israel for failing to do what they should do. And indeed, uh, uh, Barak uh, uh, gets the judgement that the, the, the victory is not his, because he wouldn't go and do the battle without Deborah goading him into it. But what do real men do? Do we fight? well testosterone drives us in that direction, we're aggressive animals but is that what we are to be doing? Is it to conquer? Is it to subjugate? No, it's to serve, it's to lead by service, by responsibility by taking care of other people but in particular the way in which we serve and in which we lead is almost the exact reverse of what everybody expects it's by prayer. You never become more a man of God than when you are in prayer. Now I say it's the it's reverse of everything because prayer as I'll talk to you after breakfast before morning tea tomorrow prayer is about being a dependent. Whereas most people see manliness is about being independent. But prayer does the exact reverse it's my declaration to God of how much I depend upon him for everything. I say real men pray because there is one verse in the Bible that clearly addresses men as men. It's in the passage in one Timothy chapter two, one Timothy chapter two, where women are as dressed as women. That is, in Greek there are two different words for men. There's a word men which generally means humanity and there's a word for men that only ever means males. And it's the word male that is here. Um, The word men for humanity generally means males as well I may say Um, and this political correctness now means we're not allowed to use the word man which is dreadful if you're a poet or a preacher because Humankind is an appalling uh, word, it's just a a dreadful word totally unnecessary because there's another word that actually is an old word that fits the place, that's called humanity. Whenever you see humankind, cross it out, put humanity in because that's that's the right grammatical word, not humankind. Humankind's just a nonsense. But generally what we need is not humanity, generally it's man. Man is a powerful single syllable, three letter word that no one can misspell but we can't say that anymore because well we're talking about men and this is the passage about men 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8 I desire some of you haven't got Bibles so there you go I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling that's the verse that is the verse which tells men what men must do It's one of the very few verses that addresses men as men. And it's one of the verses that tells men what Christian men, true Christian manliness, is about. It's about prayer. So if I want to fix up the problems of the cathedral, and one of the problems is men taking spiritual leadership, then I need to get a bunch of men away together to talk about prayer. I need to talk about prayer, but to start praying. I preached a brilliant series on prayer, excuse me saying, I mean, it was a brilliant series on prayer. And at the end of it, genie who's now dated with the Lord in glory, she came to me and said, Philip, that was a brilliant series on prayer. I learned so much, it was wonderful. But she said, uh, I guarantee no one's praying anymore in the cathedral now that you've finished the series than before you started. And you know what? She was right. Which is pretty depressing, let me tell you. So what I did is I published it as a book, and as a result of publishing it as a book, no one's praying more than anyone. It's not published as a book. Prayer is not something you sit and analyse. Prayer is something you do. You either do or you don't. We're going to do. And not only are we going to do here now, we're going to do in such a way that we're going to go on doing it. What I want to come out of this weekend is a new prayerfulness amongst the men of our congregation that is going to spread from this group out to the rest of the men in the congregation and I'm not going to worry about whether the women take it up or not this is a men's job and this is what the men are going to be directed to and I want you to help me. Let's look at the verse though firstly notice the hands, The NIV, if you've got the NIV translation it's completely wrong in this verse it's not about hands Uh, the NIV says something about uh, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands no he doesn't, he wants men everywhere to pray, the principal verb of the text is to pray that's what he wants, men everywhere, not to do anything with their hands men everywhere to pray that is the essence of it Bodily postures are really unimportant in the Bible, in fact if anything they're a distraction because spiritual reality is infinitely more important than bodily posture. So sometimes you're told to pray kneeling down, sometimes fat on your face, sometimes standing up, sometimes with your hands up, sometimes and there's all kinds of bodily postures, so many so that you couldn't do them all at the same time. Well a contortionist could try but you really couldn't get it done because the, the real posture of prayer is the humble heart. That's the real posture. You can kneel, you can sit, you can stand, but you've got to have the humble heart because that's what prayer is about. What he wants is prayer. But notice where he wants it. He wants it everywhere. This is universal men's work. Prayer. Wherever we are, brothers, this is what we must be doing. But he does talk about the hands. So what are the hands? Well the important thing about the hands is that they're holy hands. The important thing is not that they're hands but they're holy hands. And what do holy hands mean? Well they're hands that are without anger or quarrelling. Because that's what men are pretty good at. Anger and quarrelling. And that's not the way of prayer. The way we pray of prayer is humility The way of prayer is loving unity. It's agreeing with each other about things so that we can bring them in common to the Lord together. Keep one of your parts of your hands there and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And you'll see the alternative that we have to praying hands. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or do you suppose it is of no purpose? The scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace and therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. So the important word is the holy word without quarrelling and and, uh, anger. That is, he doesn't want men to hold up their fist either in antagonism to each other or into defiance against God. The hands that we hold are holy hands. No quarrels, no fights. We're not arguing with each other. We're agreeing with each other out of our common humility. Because in humility we submit ourselves to God. And that then, these hands are the real hands of the man of God. Uh, that's a, a Durer uh, work of art done in about uh, 1508. Um, it wasn't called praying hands, it's known as praying hands in, in uh, English. It was actually the prayer, the hands of the apostle is what Durer entitled as. Because an apostle will pray you'd be very disappointed to find out that the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul didn't pray, wouldn't you? Well, you should be disappointed if you find out I didn't. And I should be disappointed to find out that you don't. And what we need to do is to help one another. That is, this is not fixing up what's wrong. This is moving us forward. For leaders, go forward. And our way forward is in prayer. It's real men's work. Spiritual leadership in prayer. So tonight we're going to pray together as one big group and then tomorrow morning in small groups in our congregational groups and then after morning tea in our twos and threes within our congregation because we have a program that I want to try and expand and change the face of the spiritual leadership of our cathedral and in changing the face of the cathedral changing the face of Christianity and in changing the face of Christianity changing the face of Australia. No point thinking small brothers we're here to do a big job but the big job comes out of our leadership and our leadership needs to be in prayer and so to give you the taste of what I'm talking about over this weekend, over this overnight, I want to teach you how to pray with two or three brothers so that we can set up within our congregational life morning tea supper time after church time when everyone stands around which is incredibly feminine because the women all like talking with each other and we stand from one foot to the other not knowing who to talk to or what to do and they even know how to serve the tea and the coffee and we're not even sure where it goes and how to clean it up and we just hope that it will finish quickly Uh, that time we're going to use as our men's time and what are we going to do in men's time we're going to pray in twos and threes at church, there. And how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to learn how to do that over this next few hours. Are we on board, understand what we're saying? Good. Now, but first, I thought we'd pray together in a big group. So, I don't know how I'm going to shut this down now. Um, Control 5, did you say? No, that's not it. Alt 5, well, good luck to you. Um, And so, I'll just spend a few moments... uh, now, praying with each other in a big group, Loud voice, we need. One of the keys, because some of us are not used to praying out loud, is to serve each other in this regard. How do we serve each other? Short prayers. One-sentence prayers. So you don't have to pray long prayers. So don't have to be flowery prayers. Short prayers. And we'll do it in sections. So, first section, before whenever you pray, you should always pray with thanksgiving so I want to spend a few moments just with thanksgiving um, and you don't have to pray any more than thank you Heavenly Father for the great weather we've had up until today but we don't <laughs> thank you for today. Uh, but it only has to be short just a single sentence and brothers if we agree say Amen if we don't agree don't say amen. And if you really don't agree, say no, Lord. <laughs> but don't go in the gentle whisper. Right? Because we're saying amen to each other. We're not saying amen to God. We're really saying to each other, I agree with that. And in that regard, we're saying it to the Lord. Now, after we've just spent no prayers, just thanksgiving for a minute or 2 so, I'll call that to a halt and then I'll give you the topic we're going to pray about for a few moments then I'll call that to a halt and what we're going to do is we're going to pray for the world And we're going to come down to praying for sleeping tonight and then we'll have supper, No, we're going to sing and have supper Okay. so think of something you want to thank God for well brothers let's start thinking now about the world what is it in the world, See, our God is a great God who rules over all the nations of the world, what do we need to be praying about about just things of this world we'll come back to things of our own lives in a little while But how about we make requests for God on a world front issues. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of heaven and earth and of all nations. And pray indeed, Father, for the rulers and the kings and the princes of the world that you would bring peace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, let's now take our time to be thinking about our nation and Sydney in particular as we move to these issues some of those issues have already been covered in some ways but what are we needing here now you'll notice that as we pray and as we say amen to prayers we need to agree with each other now in our prayers you may pray that uh, tony abbott become the next prime minister or you may pray that julia gillard beat tony abbott the next prime minister we're not agreed upon that in this in this room I presume. I don't know. I've never asked any of you. But that's not something that you can pray with somebody unless you've agreed already that 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 is the right thing that we want. And so it's the Christian mind on the issues of Sydney and Australia that we need to bring. However, we, we, we don't need to do the bland prayer. You know, please God, give us peace. Nothing wrong with praying that prayer. But... More specific prayers can be done from a Christian perspective. Now some of the prayers we just prayed, I thought were terrific in that regard of things that one to agree about. That the, uh, that the GFC might teach nations and sp- the, the, the hopelessness of the materialism. Right? That's a Christian perspective on an issue that is very real and pressing and difficult. So let's pray together. Don't be inhibited by what I've just said. Pray what's on your heart's desire but we're praying together, we're leading each other in prayer, aren't we? I'm not praying my prayer, I'm leading you in our prayer about our nation, so let's pray and about our city, let's pray and we pray everything we pray through the Lord Jesus who taught us to pray saying Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sit against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And tomorrow we'll be praying more about our own interests in the cathedral and the like. We're going to sing one song before we go off to uh, supper, I understand. And That is a good thing. Brothers, it's lovely to hear each other praying, isn't it? And as you hear each other praying, you actually hear what's on the heart of other people around about you. And you get drawn to each other because of the common concerns we have. We're going to do more praying and find out more about prayer tomorrow and how we're going to persist and grow prayer in our cathedral before we go home at noon.